0: We've been talking for a while now about this uh, series called Slow, about slowing down, and uh, we've, we've, uh, we're have we've to the W now in slow, okay? So we spent a, a long time talking about obedience. We spent a long time talking about love. We spent a short time, a simple time, talking about being simple, uh, not like uh, Martha, but instead maybe a little more like Mary, looking for those times where we can be present to God, present to people, those simple times. So as we're slowing down in life and we're we're thinking simply, we're thinking about loving, uh God, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, as we're thinking about being obedient to Christ and Christ alone. We're slowing down in that. Now we come to this this moment where I, I feel it necessary for us to slow down and worship God and God alone. And I know that we have some preconceived ideas of what worship is. Uh, we understand, in fact, uh, we've been taught for a while now, and I'm guessing most of your life, if you've been in the Southern Baptist Church, you've been taught that worship is what we just did. Uh, we sang. We sang uh, hymns or praise courses, worship songs. Uh, we have a leader. Leader. And so we we, uh, we kind of unite in that. We say that the song leader, the worship leader, he's the one that's leading us in worship. And our particular worship leader or song leader or associate pastor of, of music and and uh, instruments, uh, we he's not going with us daily, walking beside us, leading us in worship daily. So we have to take that and we have to say, okay, what, what does it truly mean to worship? About a year ago, we, we talked a lot about this. We talked about the who of worship, the what of worship, the why of worship, uh, the other W, the where of worship. We talked about those things things about a year ago, you probably have forgotten all about that. You're thinking, was I even here a year ago? Did I, did I attend this church? Was I a member of this church a year ago? Uh, Was I even around a year ago? Because I have forgotten. In fact, I forgot what we talked about last week. So thanks for reminding me about obedience. So we're going to come to this point. We're going to talk for the next three weeks about worship. We're going to talk about uh, really what Christ desires of us, uh, how to live a life, uh, kind of a lifestyle of worship, uh, what it means to to even use your work, whatever your work is, even if it's retirement, using your retirement work uh, for the glory of the Father, worshiping him through through even that. And this morning, though, I find it necessary for us to focus particularly upon who God is and why we should only worship him. Uh, These three boys down here include a fourth boy, Zach. Uh, we spent some time together at RE Camp uh, this past summer in July, and uh, we talked about, um, uh, there's a movie out, maybe you've seen it, maybe your grandkids have showed it to you, there's a movie uh, called The Lego Movie, and in there, there's a great song about uh, how everything is awesome. We kind of talked about how everything is not awesome. Uh, in fact, there's only one thing that's awesome, and only only God is awesome. So so really what I want us to, to kind of uh, get down to, the point that I want us to make this morning, is that really in your life there's only one thing that's that's truly awesome. And I know that, I mean, I use it often. I say, man, that was awesome and great. That was so cool. That was so so awesome that that happened. Uh, Clay and I have talked about this at breakfast many times about deer hunting or elk hunting and how we just have these awesome moments. But in regards to what Scripture tells us, in regards to what the revealed Word of God explains to us, only God is awesome. And with that being said, we worship Him and Him alone. So we're going to focus this morning on a great story, a true event that happened uh, back in the Old Testament. We're going to be in First Kings chapter 17 and chapter 18. Those are two chapters together. We're not going to read the entirety of both of those chapters, but I want you to go ahead and turn to First Kings chapter 17. While you're turning there, uh, I'm going to uh, just uh, remind you once again about these words from Jesus. Okay, I think Jesus breaks down worship as it should be for us. Okay, we're going to walk through these. The, the primary text that we're going to use this morning is First Kings seventeen and eighteen. But over the next three weeks, we're going to break down this kind of theme verse for us. And I believe that you've heard it pretty frequently. Recently, you may even have it memorized by now. I feel like repetition is important for a Christian follower of Jesus. I feel like repetition is important for a Christian follower of Jesus. I really do feel like repetition is important for Christian follower of Jesus. And the more that we can repeat things, maybe the more that it will stick. And so Matthew 16, 24 says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, my assumption this morning is that the majority of us in this room consider ourselves a disciple of Jesus. So then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, meaning anyone, would come after him, if anyone wants to be in relationship with Jesus, if anyone wants to follow Jesus, let him do these three things deny himself, take up his cross and follow me follow Jesus verse 25 says this for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it it's not what the world teaches us you understand that right Like this is where worship really uh, uh, where we really get down to the heart of the matter when you're trying to figure out what it is that you're worshiping or who it is that you're worshiping daily, these questions here, what Jesus is asking in verse 25 of Matthew 16, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So where are you trying to find life? Where is it that you're running to or going to? Like Psalm 121 talks about, who are what are the mountains or the hills that you're looking at for help? Who is it that you're turning to? What is it that you're turning to that you think is going to, going to help you? I mean, at the end of the day when it's been a, a really tiresome or wearisome day and you're just extremely exhausted, what is it or where is it that you run to, that you go to, that you're saying, I want to find relief in this moment. I want to regain strength in this moment. I joke a lot and say, is it Zebra? Zebra? Zebra cakes. Is it baseball? Is it TV? Is it a movie? Is it a book? Where is it? What is it that that we're turning to? I mean, we joke about that, about zebra cakes, but how many folks do you know that take that seriously, that do have an issue with that, that run to those types of things, that run to sports, that run to entertainment, that run to food, that run to drink, expecting those things to actually, actually help them. For whoever would lose his, whoever would save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You understand how crazy that is? What Jesus is saying: Whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will actually find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the entire world and yet forfeits? His soul. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Can anything upon this earth, can you gain anything upon this earth that will, hap, that will help you gaining your soul? No. Instead, losing your life for the sake of Christ, giving your life to Him saying that He is ultimate, that He is eternal, that He is the only thing worthy of worship, the only thing worthy of praise, the only thing worthy of living for, then you actually will find your life. And let me just say this. You will find your life hidden in Jesus. So let's go backwards here, all right? Uh, We'll go backwards. This week will be part one, next week will be part two, and the next week will be part three. So three weeks from now, three Sundays from now, uh, we'll talk about denying self and how worship is really about denying self, that it's not about me. Worship is forgetting about self and offering your life as a servant sacrifice to the Lord. Denying self. Worship is about denying self. It is not about you. I mean, how many of us said in in worship a number of times, I'm guilty of this. I I said it on, on Wednesday when the worship team was practicing. To God be the glory is my favorite hymn. I make it about myself. I'm sitting down here or standing down here singing. like, I love this song. This is my favorite hymn. And then we sing, We Fall Down. I think, man, this ties into Scripture so perfectly. We Fall Down. And I remember at camp when the worship band was playing this and Chris Tomlin was singing, and he had this cowboy hat, and he was waving. And, man, We Fall Down was just a great song, a great experience. I remember encountering God at that moment because of, man, these are my favorite songs. What did I make worship about? I made it about me. I made it about my feelings, my favorites. I made it about uh, my experience, my encounter. So worship is really about denying self. Jesus then goes on to say, take up your cross. So worship is about sacrificing yourself. Taking up your cross, but denying yourself, saying it's not about me, and then sacrificing yourself, saying I'm going to be this living sacrifice for the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2 give us a great example of that. I'm going to be this living sacrifice for the Lord. Worship is about forgetting self and offering your life as a servant sacrifice to the Lord. And then what we'll really focus in on today is this that worship truly is about following jesus fearing the lord with reverent obedience i know we've already talked we spent three weeks about about obedience i'm not going to talk a lot on obedience this morning but i do want to focus in on fearing the lord worship is expressed through this how do we express worship do we express it through song it's a great way It is a great way to express worship Can we express worship of the Lord through prayer? Absolutely. Through reading of scripture? Absolutely. Through fellowship, through unity, through through love? Absolutely. We can express worship of the Lord through that. But it begins with worship is expressed through fearing the Lord. And by reverent obedience to him and to him alone. So write this down. Following Jesus for a disciple of Christ, we want to worship him. Then we begin with, we begin with following him. We begin with fearing the Lord with reverent obedience. So why is it we worship God? Why do we come before Him on a Sunday? Why do we worship Him maybe even on Monday? Why is it that we want to worship Him with our life? Why do we want to worship Him with our work, schoolwork, uh, labor, whatever it is? Why is it that we worship Him? Is it because we say we fear the Lord? Is it because we we understand that there is none like Him? Or is it because we want to please others? Or is it because we want to experience something that that just moves us inside? Because we want to experience a new encounter of the Lord. I have this new little nugget that I'm searching for. That if I just experience this in some way, then I'll truly have truly worshiped. Christ. Have you been to a a meeting of church people? Have you been to a a preaching time or maybe a revival or a camp experience or retreat or some short seminar of some sort? And maybe even the person on stage said something like, ah, what kind of, that was great worship folks. Could you feel, could you feel the experience? Could you feel the moment where we're truly worshiping the Lord? We focus way too much about, about the experience, about the feeling about the encounter and way too little about who we're actually worshiping. Think for a moment about the difference between Old Testament worship and New Testament worship. We, we read throughout Old Testament Scripture and see even directives from the Lord, directing worship to be about objects, about things that should be being done during worship, about clothing, about hairstyle, about, uh, about um, tables, about arts, about cover, and all these things. We see uh, the object, objects that were in the worship time in the Old Testament. And then we see throughout, we read Malachi, read Habakkuk, re- read these uh, prophets, read Jonah, where we, where we begin to make these false idols, begin worshiping something other than God. We put up these Asherah poles, or these poles where we're gonna worship something other than God. We put up things on top of a mountain, like Psalm 121 tells us, and we begin worshiping the things on top of the mountain, worshiping these things that at one time were good objects, but are not God. And then Jesus comes along and he says, hey, here's the thing about this covenant between between you and God, through me. You're going to worship God in spirit and truth. True worshipers will worship Him that way, John 4 tells us. We're going to focus in on who God actually is and make Him the object of our worship. This begins with you examining your heart. This begins with you saying, Lord, what is it that I am worshiping? What is it that I'm worshiping? I mean, think about people who worship false idols for a moment. A false idol, whatever it may be. Maybe I said what we said earlier, food or drink or entertainment or whatever the feelings, whatever it is. Uh, What is it they're trying to get from those things? Uh, False God, give me more time. False God, give me more attention. False God, give me more hope. False God, give me more pleasure. False God, give me more uh, correct fear. Whatever the case may be, we're asking from things, give me, give me these things. We make the object of the worship, the thing that we're worshiping, we turn it around and say, I'm worshiping you, but I want something in return. I want you to give me something back. Even this morning, I I would assume that some of you came this morning thinking, what is it that I can get from this moment? Instead of understanding who the true object of our worship should be. If you have, or have had in the past, or even this morning, had the thought, what is it that I'm going to get out of this service? Or what is it I'm going to, in old terms, what is it I'm going to get as I go to church? I would say, repent of that. Because that is making you the object of worship. And Christ said, deny self. Take up cross and follow him. He said, worship is not about you. Instead, it is about God. 1 Kings 17 and 18. The reason why I wanted us to turn to 17 first is because it becomes before 18. Okay? It's pretty simple. We read things in context. We want to understand the entirety of Scripture as much as our small brains can actually understand it. So we need to read things within context. Verse seven or chapter seventeen, verse one, now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe, and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Elijah said, It's going you're going to have a drought. And until I say so, until I say so, it will not rain again. And the word of the Lord came to him, verse 3, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. All right, so... Elijah told Ahab that this is what's going to happen because of sin, because of the word of the Lord. Ahab followed, obediently followed the word of the Lord, unlike Jonah. He heard from the word of the Lord and he responded to it and he decided he was going to be obedient to that. And then we catch up in, in chapter 18, verse 1. And after many days, 1 Kings 18, verse 1. And after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Notice, Elijah didn't move until the word of the Lord came to him and spoke to him and said, Go. He followed, he obeyed the word of the Lord. I think we spent two weeks talking about that or three weeks talking about that. You and I obeying the word of the Lord. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go. Show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. It's good news. And this is what the prophet wants to hear. Uh, The word of the Lord came to him. Hey, you got good news to go share. Go, get up, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And so Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe. Do you remember how the famine started? Back in chapter 17. The famine started when there was no rain because the Lord didn't allow it to rain. So the Lord is acting here. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Samaria is important in this case. I underline it, highlight it. I want you to write out beside it John chapter 4. Do you remember over in the New Testament in John chapter 4? Jesus has a conversation with a, somebody say it out loud, it was a woman, she was from Samaria. Okay, Jesus had a conversation with a lady from Samaria, and this lady from Samaria thought it was important, uh, because of tradition had been taught to her, that worship of God should happen where? On a mountain in Samaria. She'd been taught that, that this is where This is where worship happens. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. This is great. What what a thing to be known as. Someone who fears the Lord greatly. He's astonished at the Lord's ways. He's amazed at the Lord's ways. We oftentimes don't use it in our word in our language today. Uh we we say things like, uh, how's your day? I hope you have a good day. Hey, the Lord bless you. Like but how many times this past week did the Lord did you say to somebody as they're leaving you, Hey, the Lord bless you, but also you better fear him. That's not something that we say in our world today. In fact, we've taught ourselves not to be fearful of anything. We fear no one. Have you seen our army? Have you seen our military? Have you seen who we are? Have you seen our greatness, our power, our might? Have you seen who I am? Do you see the strength that I have? We've been taught not to fear anyone. Obadiah, he fears the Lord greatly. Verse 12. Skip down to verse 12. And as soon as I have gone from you, see, uh, Elijah told Obadiah, go tell King Ahab, I'm here to tell him something. as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you and I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Obadiah is speaking here. Remember, he greatly fears the Lord, but just a few verses later, this title of I greatly fear the Lord, or you greatly fear the Lord, just a few moments later, he, be- he begins expressing his fear toward someone upon the earth. I-, I thought you greatly feared the Lord. Well, I do greatly fear Him, but I a little bit fear people. See, when we worship God, one of our heart dilemmas is, We fear people and people's thoughts about us more than we fear God and His thoughts about us. So worship, first and foremost, when we talk about worship being fearing of the Lord, we come to an understanding that, Nothing upon this earth is greater than the Lord, and we should fear him and him alone. As soon as I get, have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you off somewhere that I won't know. And so, when I come to, and tell Abe, Ahab, he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Study the church, study the persecuted church, study martyrdom. Read through history. Study contemporary statements on martyrdom or the persecuted church and see that where the church has been persecuted, more growth and maturity in Christ begins. People begin fearing the Lord more than anything else. Here in comfortable southeastern New Mexico, we begin these moments where I'm, I'm just fearing, I'm fearing what people might say. I fear that the school may take over. I'm fearing that the government may take over. They may remove these things from us. When we fear those things more than we fear the Lord, who is it that we're actually worshiping? Obadiah went from worshiping the Lord, greatly fearing Him. In fact, fearing Him so muchly that He hid prophets that were supposed to be killed, prophets of the Lord that were supposed to be killed. He hid them. He knew that they should be saved. He went against government rule. He went against Ahab's uh, decree. He went against that. Yet in this moment, he begins fearing people instead of God. Verse 14, And now you say, Go, tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. Where did the prophet Elijah point Obadiah to? You fear people, but let me remind you who we're serving. As the Lord of hosts lives, worship is about fearing God and God alone. Saying, He is it. Reminding yourself and reminding others that it's the Lord who lives. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab Uh, Went to meet Elijah. I love it. He was convinced again. I'm fearing. I'm having this moment of fear. I'm fearing. uh, I'm not putting fear where it should be or placing it upon the object that it actually should be placed upon, but instead, I'm fearing people. And then Elijah speaks truth. Here's what the word of God reminds us that he is the Lord of hosts and he lives. He lives. Verse 17 When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Remember back in chapter 17 when Elijah brought this word that there's going to be famine, there's going to be drought, Ahab's, Ahab is placing blame. We're all a victim around here because of you, Elijah. You're the troubler of Israel. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Elijah's picking a fight. He's saying, hey, it ain't me. It ain't me that's caused the problems. I've been obedient to the Lord. I've been following the Lord's commands. It's you. You've brought this curse upon Israel. You've brought this curse upon, upon your house or your father's house. It's you and those 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. Who eat at, by the way, Jezebel's table. Not the Lord's table, but instead they eat at Jezebel's table. We could spend, that's enough right there in itself the for a sermon, but we're going to continue on. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? I love that. What a great opening statement in an argument. What a great moment in this sermon that Elijah's getting to, uh, actively preach and live. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how will you go, how long will you go on limping between two different opinions? How long will you waver there? How long will you stand there not knowing what side of the fence you're on? When will you decide that the Lord is the Lord? What is he saying? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if all, then follow him. Make a decision no longer waver back and forth no longer limp along hey what's wrong with you I just can't make a decision make a decision is the Lord Lord then follow him if he's not Lord quit pretending quit pretending that you're just going to hang on to him for a moment but instead uh, the Lord is a as a God our God is a God who wants 100% of us all of us you will return to me Jeremiah 24 7 you will return to me with all your heart all of who you are The whole enchilada, not just a little bit of it, but the entire thing. You will return to me with all that you are. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? And so because of this, because you're wavering back and forth, maybe someone in this room this morning is wavering back and forth. I've seen the Lord act. I've seen him, but I'm just not sure yet. Because I'm I'm experiencing hope from these things also. I'm experiencing peace from these these things also. These things give me pleasure as, as well. I'm wavering back and forth, just like we talked about last week. Is God's word really the answer? Is he was he really the answer to the Ninevites' problems? Is he really the answer to the problems that you face? Is he really the answer to the problems that your coworkers or kids face? Is he really the answer? And if he is, give him your entire life. How long, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him, right? Because they're on the fence. They don't know how to answer him. They did not answer him a word. And then Elijah said to the people, I've got an idea. I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. I'm the only one. But Baal's prophets are more than 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us. And let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood. Be put on the fire and put fire to it. Sorry, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the on the uh, on the wood and put no fire to it. And you will call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers it by fire, He is God. And all the people said, "It is well. It is well spoken. So be it. Amen." Let's do this. Let me just side note, Matthew 4, 7 reminds us from Deuteronomy, Jesus reminds us as he's being tempted in the wilderness, that it's not a good idea to put the Lord to a test. Thankfully, Elijah wasn't just burned up with everything in this moment, but it's not a good idea to put the Lord to a test. I'm not telling you to go home and say, Lord, I'm going to put you to the test. I'm about to cut up a bull or or my dog, whatever I have available. I'm going to cut it up and I'm going to ask you to rain fire from heaven so that I may... Quit wavering back and forth. No, Jesus reminds us that it is not a good idea to put the Lord to a test. But in this case, the people thought it was a good idea. And so they put the Lord to a test. Verse 25, Then Elijah said to the prophets of all, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. Right, we've only been here a short time. I mean, some of you have been here since Sunday school, but we've only been here a short time. And I know already you're thinking this sermon's already too long. But can you imagine priests doing their priestly duties and calling out and praying? Some of you thought already, I'm just going to call it right now. Some of you thought Zach prayed too long already this morning. You're like, oh, he prayed so long. Why do we have to pray so long? From morning, from breakfast until lunch. It's too long, all right. So people are getting antsy from morning until noon, saying, oh Ball, answer us!" But there was no voice, and no one answered. Have you had that moment where you begin thinking, "What am I doing? Things aren't going right." So, you—I uh, love what uh, one author says. Uh, you begin treating scripture like uh, like it's the uh, uh, what's it called, Zach? We talked about this, like the tab—not the tabloids, but the uh, astronomy stuff. No, astrology. Yeah, okay. You start treating it like, it's like like your horoscope. That's the name of it. Yes, thanks, Zach. Uh, you start treating it like your horoscope. Like, well, okay, what did I do wrong? Let's flip through here. Okay, this is what I should have been doing. Let me recreate this scenario. So maybe then the Lord will answer. And so Elijah, he began to mock them because he's a good preacher. He's a good prophet. This is what you do. Begin mocking those who are against God. At noon... I wish, we, I wish there was more here. I wish it was like at noon, while Elijah was eating his peanut butter and jelly sandwich and Cheetos and a banana and drinking water because he's healthy. About noon, he began mocking them, saying, Cry aloud, shout louder. For he is a God, right? He's, he's big and he's mighty, he's far off, he's not here among us. So shout louder, cry aloud. Either he is musing or reflecting, or maybe he's just caught up in thought. Or, maybe a better scenario is, maybe your God that you're calling out to. Maybe he's off relieving himself. Maybe he's on potty break. And if that's the case, maybe you need to be streaming louder. Or maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he took a trip on a little rocket ship somewhere. Maybe he's just not around. He took a trip somewhere. He's on a journey. Or perhaps, maybe the better example here, maybe he is, he's like most of us right now. He's asleep. And so he must be awakened wives you know this right like you've done this to your husband before honey get up honey get up honey get up you're yelling and like how do they not hear me how do they not hear me yet in the middle of the night when the toilet flushes they hear everything but right now they don't hear anything the baby's awake go change the baby's diaper. i don't hear anything i'm asleep that's what we're thinking here the ball the god the false idol can't be awakened where is he elijah says he must be off somewhere else you're not doing things correctly and so verse 28 they cried aloud and It gets really detrimental here. It gets really scary, actually, because they get to this point where they don't know what else to do. They're at the end of their rope. They're at the end of their life. They have no other options. What should we do? And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. Maybe even it's our fault. We start cutting ourselves, and we're going to pour our own blood, thinking maybe if we pour our own blood out, then the God, whoever we're serving, will answer us. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of offering the ablation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. It's interesting. Do you know folks like this? They've been crying out to a number of things. i have been crying out and crying out and crying out, searching for these things. As I'm crying out, there's no voice. And it feels as if no one's paying attention. You're crying out to the wrong things. You're crying out to things. You're making the object of your worship things, created things, instead of the Creator. The object of our worship should be God and God alone. Verse 30, maybe Elijah had enough. He said, okay, Your time's up. You don't have any more time. And so because of that, let's move on. And Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about... And he made a trench about about the altar, as great as would uh, contain two sias of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And as he said, fill four jars of, with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And as he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And as he said, repetition here, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And whenever the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Elijah's really putting the Lord to the test. He's really wanting to make a statement here of who the Lord God actually is. Who is it that should be worshipped? I think about our own life, just a little side note here. How passionate are we about the Lord? And really, how passionate are we about the Lord? I don't think for a moment here Elijah's wanting just to prove people wrong. See, you're a bunch of losers. You don't know what you're doing. You're ignorant. I want to prove you wrong. But instead, his passion is about the Lord. He's seen the Lord work. He's felt the Lord's presence. He's heard the Lord's voice. He knows what's required of him. He knows the commandments. He knows all those things. He knows the goodness. He knows the mercy. He knows the compassion. He knows the patience. Maybe he even knows a little bit about the wrath of God. And so because of that, he wants people to know who the Lord is. I think if, if we're living in worship of God and God alone, and we're studying about him and knowing him more and more, we're coming to an understanding of who he is, we want others to know about him. Not to prove them wrong. Oh, you Muslims are wrong, but instead, no, you you're worshiping something false. You need to know the one true God. You need to understand his mercy, his love, his compassion for you. You need to understand his forgiveness for you, his desperation for you that he would send his only son to save you and rescue you. Not to prove you wrong, but to, to give you an understanding of who the Lord is. Fearing the Lord and the Lord alone. Ed Welch says this one of the great blessings of the fear of the Lord is that we We begin to think less often about ourselves. Elijah didn't do all these things because he was a great prophet. He wasn't thinking about himself. Oh, dig the, dig the trench deeper. Let's do this. Let's, let's pour water on here for my sake. The Lord, the Lord's table, the Lord's altar. The Lord's going to do all this. One of the great blessings of the fear of the Lord is we think less often about ourselves. When a heart is being filled with the greatness of God, there is less room to question what are people going to think of me. You think even for a moment Elijah thought this, as he's building this altar, as he's digging this trench, as he's giving commandments about how many jars of water to fill up, do you think in this moment he's thinking, I'm really concerned about these 450 prophets. I'm really concerned about what they think about me. I'm real concerned about what Obadiah might think about me after this. I'm real concerned about what Ahab might think about me after this. No, his thought is on the goodness and greatness of the Lord. Ed Welch goes on to say, If you've ever walked among the giant redwoods, you will never be overwhelmed by the size of a dogwood tree. Or if you've ever been through a hurricane, a spring rain is nothing to fear. And if you have been in the presence of the Almighty God, everything that once controlled you suddenly has less power. And this is why we worship God and God alone. It's one thing to have all. Oh, man, all. Man, I have so much all of the Lord, and all is good. But all must be led, must lead us to faith. And faith must lead us to action. Verse 36 and at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O oh Lord, as you're examining your heart and you're thinking about worship and what you're worshiping, false or true, if you're not beginning with O oh Lord, but you're beginning with oh me, probably worship is about you. O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Let it be known this day that you are God. When you sang this morning, to God be the glory, was your thought like mine? I love this hymn. What a great hymn. Or was your thought, oh God, how great you are. Let it be known how great you are. To God be the glory. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. And that I am your servant. And that I have done all these things at your word. I'm following your word. I'm your servant. You are God. I worship you and you alone. Verse 37, answer me, O Lord. Answer me that the people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back. What's your prayer? What's your heart when it comes to worshiping God? Are we to a point Have we been broken to a point where we can say that we desire for people to worship God, not to fill our pews, but to worship God because He is God? Do you want the world to know about Jesus because it makes you feel better? Or do you want the world to know about Jesus because you understand who Jesus is? Because you know about the compassion, the mercy, the forgiveness of Christ. And you want their hearts to be turned back to Him because He is worthy of that. And then this is what happened in verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Everything was burned up. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. Because repetition is important. They said it again. The Lord, he is God. They fell on their faces. Was the last time? I had a conversation with a gentleman last week. He said, Do you think we need to, (laughs) do you think that we need to fall on our knees and cry out to the Lord? And I said, in ignorance, no, I mean, yes. What I mean by no is, real quickly here, is it required of us for salvation? No. Is it desired of us because of how worthy our God is? Yes. So fall on your knees. Cry out in desperation to the Lord because he's worthy of that. But don't think about falling on your face and crying out before him. The Lord looks at you and says, oh, how much better you are than these people. Instead, he sees your heart. He knows it just like he sees the other people's hearts. He says, this person and this person are both worthy of my love. This person's understanding is much greater maybe maybe, but they're both worthy of my love cry out to the Lord well, what a response to worship they see the Lord's act they see his actions and they cry out saying the Lord he is God the Lord he is God and then it gets real crazy and Elijah said to them seize the prophets of all he didn't question he didn't say you guys in agreement with this And like, what do you think here did I prove it? He just says, seize the prophets of all. Let none, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook, Kishon, and slaughtered them there. Why? Why would he slaughter those prophets? Murder, kill them, so that people weren't persuaded by lies. The truth needed to be known. The people fell in worship of the Lord, the Lord God. They understood they were at a moment of understanding how great God is. No one needed to steer them in a different direction. It's interesting, these people, they limped along and limped along until they fell to their faces. They limped along, wavering back and forth between who is God and who is not. And they limped along and limped along until they fell to their faces. Fearing the Lord, worship, fearing the Lord with reverent obedience. Understanding that there is no one like our God. In fact, there is no one other than our God who is worthy to be worshipped. We should share that. We should tell that. We should be willing to sacrifice everything for our Lord. One last thing. there was probably a temptation to recreate this moment. Elijah, can you recreate that? That was awesome. Can we we experience that again? Can we encounter that again? Remember the Lord was out? Remember when he met us there on Mount Carmel? Remember that? There's probably like a moment when they wanted to recreate that experience. And so Jesus speaks to that in John chapter 4 to the Samaritan woman. You want to recreate what happens on a mountain. You can try your best to recreate it. But true worshipers, they're going to worship God in spirit and truth. They're going to worship God in spirit and truth. Who is truth? Jesus. Who is spirit? Jesus. How we worship God truthfully and in spirit we worship Christ and Christ alone. We fear God. We fear the Lord. We obey him out of respect and reverence. This morning, if you're wavering back and forth, limping along, make a decision. Decide for yourself who is Lord. Who are you going to trust in? Where are you going to put all your hope in? Trying to gain something from things of this world or trusting in our Savior Jesus? Make a decision. No longer limp along. And if you're not limping along, but you're walking like Psalm sixteen You're walking beside the Lord in fullness of joy in His presence. Share that. Be like Elijah. Share that with someone. Can I tell you about the Lord God? The Lord God. Be repetitious about it. I'm not telling you to go dig a trench, create an altar, recreate this scenario. Tell them about this scenario. Tell them about this moment in history. Tell them about... Another moment in history where Christ took God's wrath upon himself so that we may be able to worship, so we may be able to say we cry holy, 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 that we may be be able to join with other followers of Christ and sing these, what Christ has done, has given us opportunity to be righteous and to be in the presence of the righteous one. And so we fear him and him alone. Slow down this week and worship God and God alone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much.